It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with, with Brett Rump. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The Snowy Thursday. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brad Rump along with Adam Lundy, and we've got you connected, as always, on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line. 46862. Questions, comments, suggestions. Oh, I'm sure there's going to be a couple of questions that come firing my way. Let us know what you want to hear from us on this Sports Rush. 46862. Coming up on the show, we've got Brock Rohrbacher, who is the new head coach of the Woodland Warriors. That was just announced earlier this week. Brock Rohrbacher returns to the sideline with the main headset, and uh, he'll take over a Woodland Warriors football team that has struggled since their state championship appearance a few seasons ago. And so uh, we'll talk to him about his plans and why now, and is this going kind of full circle in your career as a you know, going as a as a coach and then an administrator and now getting back to the sideline and coaching. And what is the philosophy? What are your plans for what you want to do with Woodland football? Can you bring back those glory years? We'll talk to Brock Rohrbacher coming up uh, about 15 minutes from now. Hour number two, we'll talk to Kevin Bowen. Of course, so many things to talk to KB about. Not the Colts today, but the Pacers move with Pascal Siakam. Also, he was at the Indiana-Purdue game. We'll get his thoughts, especially in looking at the Indiana perspective. Plus, uh, the new hire in New England to replace Bill Belichick. Is he surprised at all that they went in-house with Gerard Mayo? Uh, that's going to be a question for KB, and we'll ask it coming up in our second hour somewhere around 515. 46862, Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Don't forget, too, you can always stream us, so there's no excuse not to take us along. If you leave your car, I understand most people in the afternoon, they're listening in their car radio, but uh, plenty of other options for you. You've got the mobile app at uh, 1380 The Fan. Make sure you get the uh, the mobile app. Also, you've got a chance to stream us worldwide at 1380thefan.com or you can check us out on a smart speaker. It's uh, very simple. So uh, wherever you take us or wherever you go, take us along with the Sports Rush every day, your local sports fix, 4 to 6. So the deal official now, Pascal Siakam is officially a pacer. I guess it became official last night, even though we were talking like it was official yesterday. Yeah, we were. it was passed when we were off air. Yeah, but it was done. It was done. It just wasn't it announced wasn't by the team. Yeah, yeah you know, the, all the... Uh, you know, the little pieces had to be approved by all the teams involved in the trade. And then you had to have the NBA sign off and make it official. Mm-hmm. So, Physicals. You know, the actual press release went out somewhere around 7 o'clock or so last night. So everything became 
officially official last night. Uh, they were able to post the pictures of Siakam in a Pacers jersey with, uh, you know, real good job of uh, kind of uh, switching it out. But uh, But anyway, I think the Pacers in this case, they gambled on the fit. <clears throat> they uh they were knowing and went in knowing that they weren't going to get him probably if they waited there was a good chance that it would become a bidding war in free agency did the pacers want to take that chance that they were going to be able to lure a free agent into indianapolis with competition is tyrese halliburton a big enough draw and so the Pacers kind of gambled that this was the guy that they really need right now and hopefully in making a good decision to bring him into Indianapolis and giving him an opportunity to play with Tyrese Halliburton, they can also then sign him for the long-term deal. That's where this deal will ultimately pay off is the fact that now you're first in line to negotiate a long-term big fat contract for Pascal Siakam. But, uh, you know, the Pacers get an all-star caliber player that fit their need perfectly without giving up any valuable assets. That is an important deal when you're looking at, uh, you know, what you need for the future, what is the risk involved in a trade, and who do you have to give up to make that move happen? Well, you know, this was almost a no-brainer when you realize you're going to be able to keep most of your important pieces, Benedict Matherin, uh, Jarris Walker, uh isaiah jackson when you're when you knew that uh you know the pieces that you consider part of the core roster guys that that you believe are young have a brighter future are developing or have uh certain roles with your team maybe not now but in the future and this is still a young team pascal siakam brings a little bit of veteran experience to the locker room that might be an important factor here but, uh, you know, Bruce Brown giving him up, it, it, it's insignificant because he was brought in primarily for his defense. Everybody realized the Pacers defense needed to be a priority and it just really didn't work. I mean, it was, it, I mean, he fit in and there was nothing, uh, you know, against the way he got along with teammates or the attitude that he had playing for the Pacers, but, uh, quite honestly, it, if you look at some of the big-time matchups in the East and you look at the, the Celtics, you look at the, the Milwaukee Bucks, Bruce Brown was not a guy that was a core player matched up against the other team's best player. And so, ultimately, uh, the Pacers had to reevaluate that. And they also had to move salary if they were going to get Pascal Siakam. And so Bruce Brown was the guy that was expendable. Um but uh, but the Pacers held firm and were able to keep their primary assets. A lot of that young talent that they've got down in Indianapolis. Uh, Jordan Nwora, uh, kind of an odd man out. He he was a guy who uh, I, I think he's a talented player, but just the numbers game with this roster, he was kind of having a tough time finding a spot on the floor. It's like T.J. McConnell. I mean, McConnell at one point this is was such a deep roster with the guards that you didn't really even know if McConnell was going to get out there. Now, a couple of injuries, McConnell's got his chances. He's taken advantage of those chances. He's been able to be a more consistent role player off the bench for the Pacers. But um, but it, but it, you take two guys that really weren't contributors to the success that the Pacers were having this year, 
and you turn around and get an all-star player in return, an all-star player that can guard a Jason Tatum, that can guard a Giannis Antetokounmpo, and you don't have to count on Neesmith to guard those big guys. I mean, and Neesmith worked his tail off the last time the Pacers played Milwaukee. Uh, you just love to see that energy on the defensive end, but it's a tough matchup, and now you've got some help. And uh, I don't know that Toppin was the guy that could help you. So ultimately, I think this uh, this is something where what you're gambling on is this can be a help, not necessarily during the regular season, because I think of the regular season, this might make a difference of a couple of wins. I don't think it's going to be that significant to where the Pacers are all of a sudden going to climb up the standings and, you know, challenge the number one, number two. Maybe get in the neighborhood of three, but that would be... Uh, that would be the best case scenario to get up to a possible three seat. But but I don't think they're going to be chasing down Boston or Milwaukee. I think Philadelphia is still going to be there at the top. But what it does do, uh, it doesn't necessarily change the whole regular season where you rotate opponents. And some of the matchups are going to be more favorable than others. What it does, it sets the Pacers up to specifically match up against Boston, Milwaukee, and some of the teams in the East for a seven-game series. That's what it does. And that's the whole, I mean, that's the whole key to winning a series is how do you match up against that team? Is there one player that can dominate you because your defensive liability just happens to be their offensive strength? And what the Pacers did was they identified it and they went in and plugged it in. And they got a guy who can score 20, 25 points. So this, I think, is a great move. Another great move by Kevin Pritchard. Now, if it blows up, this tape will blow up, and I will have never said, no, actually, uh, I do. I think, you know, Kevin Pritchard uh, played this very tacti- tactically. Uh, this started last summer, and it just wasn't the right time. I think it was probably that at that time Toronto thought if you're going to take him, uh, especially before we see where the season leads us, uh, you're going to have to give us a pretty sweet offer. Kevin Pritchard backed off, waited to see how the season was going, decided maybe we would you know, get uh, some talks going again. And the next thing you know, Siakam ends up down in Indianapolis. I think, uh, I know you know the East because you know the Knicks. So you kind of look at this, and I think the Pacers aren't complete yet. I think they're basically about 80% there with their roster. I don't think they've completed it to where they can actually get to that level and compete for championships. But I do think this this gives them a fighter's chance in the playoff matchups against some of the top teams in the East. Yeah, I think you said it perfectly. You know, if they can get in uh, via either, you know, a lower level uh, top six seed and then compete with one of those top three seeds. Yeah, Siakam provides a lot of length for guys like Jason Tatum on the Celtics, things like that. And uh, yeah, you know, provides more offense when you need to score against teams that score a lot with like Maxi and Embiid on the Sixers. Um, so I think it's a I think it's a good move for the Pacers. Well, you had um, you know when you look at the Pacers roster, you didn't have that that guy with length to yeah. guard. I mean, he's a six eight player mm-hmm. that's got the length. He's got a great wingspan, and uh, I mean, you had Namhard and and uh, you know Neesmith still kind of boxy. He's not necessarily one of those rangy, lengthy type of guys, um, and so this gives them maybe a more favorable matchup. Uh, he can guard the three, the four. He could even guard a five in a small lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and the the Pacers obviously are banking on getting him signed. 
Absolutely. And they think this is a much better opportunity to get him signed by trading for him and giving up the picks than to wait and try to get him as a free agent. Get him on the court with our guys because we believe that Halliburton and Siakam is going to go like Halliburton and Heald went. Remember, the Pacers were going to trade Heald. Now, all of a sudden, that's quieted down. Why? Because Heald and Halliburton have developed a great relationship, and I don't think either one of them wants to leave the other. And and Buddy Heald could go play almost anywhere, because if you can shoot like Buddy Heald, you probably have a home on almost any roster. Kyle Korver had like a 17-year career yeah. doing nothing more than being able to drop three-pointers. <laughs> no, no kidding. But uh, But the point is, Heald seems very content with his role, even if it's a diminishing role, just because he likes to hang with and play with Tyrese Halliburton. And I think that's what the Pacers are banking on is that Siakam is going to come here. He's going to flourish with uh, Halliburton running the point, And it's also going to attract the attention of other NBA free agents who are now going to consider, hey, you know, the Pacers might have a legit shot here. And if I go there, I get the advantage of playing with a, a point guard who's a future star, who's a willing distributor. I mean, the guy's had 20 assists, what? Four or five times, six times. I don't know. It just seems like he did it almost regularly at one point. Um, and and so maybe that that free agent they normally wouldn't have gotten, they could maybe get the interest in and compete for. But, uh, yeah, it's certainly I think it's changed the uh, perception of the Indiana Pacers. And I do think it's changed their capabilities Maybe not so much regular season where, you know, don't expect this team to be in a top two seed. But I think when they get to the playoffs, they're going to have more advantages in some of the man-to-man matchups they didn't have. Now, I do think that there is still a need. I think they need to get a real lockdown guard, somebody that can be uh, an offensive weapon, maybe more than Nebhard. But uh, get an offensive weapon that can guard guys like Lillard, Jalen Brown, Brunson, Tyler Hero, uh, you know, a versatile guard that's very good at, at matching up against a one or a two, because there are some of those guys around the East that you're going to have to be concerned about. But uh, but certainly this is a big start because it's been a need for the Pacers. It's kind of like we've talked about power forward for the Pacers, like we've talked about wide receiver for the Colts. It's been a discussion for like a year or two. And now they finally have one. <laughs> they finally have one. Uh, um, 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. Something worth keeping an eye on for the NBA fans, just keeping an eye on this trade. There, There is a lot of speculation that the Raptors, who received Bruce Brown from the Pacers, could be looking to possibly flip him again towards a contender, kind of like for a role that he served with the Nuggets when they uh, won their championship. Interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, who might be in the mix for that? I've seen the Knicks. I was going to say, could the Knicks afford it? That's the question. It would probably be like Grimes, Fournier, and then they would do Bruce and a pick maybe, something like that. Because I could see where Bruce Brown would be a fit in New York. Yeah, he'd be a great role player for us, honestly. Right, as a role player, he would be a fit, bringing an extra defensive type guy. Uh, that would that would make sense. I know you've got your fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. As a uh, As a fan of the New York Knicks. 
Uh, still coming up, Brock Rohrbacher joins us on the other side of the break. Before we get there, let's find out what else is happening in the world of sports. Today's top headlines with Adam Lundy. All right, thanks, Brett. Three days after a disappointing wild card loss to the Packers at AT&T Stadium, owner and general manager Jerry Jones made head coach Mike McCarthy's return in 2024 official yesterday with a 260-word statement that lauded McCarthy's regular season winning percentage. So he'll be back next year oh. and looking to earn his yeah, I, lurking I mean, to earn a contract because it I ends guess, after next year. Are we surprised he's staying or would we have been more surprised he's going? I, I think probably the bigger surprise is he's staying. I think most people were starting to get the idea that Jerry Jones is just too impatient and he's too desperate to get a championship and that Bill Belichick is sitting out there. But McCarthy's back. He's back. More NFL coaching news. Days after walking out of a post-game news conference during a question about his future, the Pittsburgh Steelers head coach, Mike Tomlin, said that his fire for the job has, quote, intensified and that he expects to get a contract extension this offseason. I'll tell you this. The look in his eyes has intensified. You saw the fire. Oh, it's it's scary when he puts that stocking cap down low and the eyes get real big. It's like, oh, man, looks like some kind of an owl looking at me. That's scary. Uh, a little scary. Tomlin back with the Steelers. As they have from the start of All-Star voting earlier this month, Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron James led their respective conferences ahead of next month's All-Star game and the third and final set of fan results were announced earlier this afternoon. Like last week, Antetokounmpo and James were way ahead of the rest of the field. Giannis was the leading vote-getter overall and the only one with more than 4 million votes, while LeBron James led the West with 3.9 million. And the NBA has postponed a second Golden State Warriors game in the wake of assistant coach Dayan Milojevic's death, announced that Friday's contest against the Dallas Mavericks would be played at a later date. Milojevic, 46, died Wednesday in Salt Lake City after being hospitalized the night before when he suffered a heart attack. There you go. Today's top headlines with Adam Lundy. Yeah, so Tomlin not taking the time off. He's coming back and he's got fire in his eyes. <laughs> coming up in hour number two, we've got Kevin Bowen from 93.5107.5 The Fan down in Indianapolis, host of the morning show, joining us. We'll talk uh, about the Siakam trade. We'll also talk to Kevin about IU Purdue. He was in the seats at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. We'll get his take want to talk a little high school football right now yeah i know it's not football season but it's always football season when we got a coach coming back to the sideline and that's what we've got at woodland as a longtime local coach and longtime uh i don't know sideliner i'm not sure exactly how you identify the years when he wasn't coaching but he's with us right now in the sports rush brock rohrbacher the new woodland football coach hey brock congratulations thank you appreciate it uh i does this take you kind of full circle? Why Why now? What What made you want to come back and give this a go at Woodland? <laughs> well, you know, life's about timing. And and a couple of years ago, our head coach at that time, Jared Souter, had an opportunity to get into a school administration, and he jumped at that opportunity. And so I thought, you know, Jared and I had been together for 20 years, and I had coached for 30, roughly. And I thought maybe it's time, you know, maybe this is this is time just to step aside. And so I did. And I, I realized real quick that it was a mistake. <laughs> and so, you know, I've been, you know, just kind of helping Coach Boyce work in athletic events for the past couple of years. And and when the opportunity came up, um, the Woodland job opened, and you know, it's an East Allen school, and I'm, I know my whole family is we're East Allen people. Uh, we've been in East Allen forever, and I love the corporation, and it was. 
an opportunity to throw my name in, and and it worked out. So that's where, that's where we're at now. Um, it is such a challenge these days because it's become a year-round job. I, what was the job like back when you first started in the mid-90s versus what the job is that you're undertaking in today's day and age? Well, you know, when, when I got started, it was, it was more about, you know, you run a, you run an after school weight training program and you, know, you get together in the summer and lift weights. Um, and you know, now it's, you know, the, the rules are different now. You get, you get a dozen or so activity days. And so you got to decide how you're going to use those. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's different, but it's not different. At the end of the day, it's, it's about the kids and it's about football. And so that, that doesn't change. What are the uh, the challenges? Are you going to be at Leo and coach at Woodland? It, does that present a challenge, or is there an opportunity perhaps that you will be transferring over to Woodland? Right, right. I'll finish the school year, obviously, teaching at Leo. And then in the summer, I'll make the move to Woodland, and I'll, I'll be teaching there then next year. Uh, that will make it, obviously, a lot easier. How much do you know about the Woodland program as far as where it's at and what your goals are for the next step? Well, you know, up until a few years ago, we played Woodland. And so, you know, back in the ACAC days, we, you know, we, it was a heck of a rivalry. Um, and then Leo, you know, left and went to the NE8. And so we played a few more years there early in the season. And then that, um, that contract expired and it wasn't renewed. And so I've lost track of them a little bit. Um, but of course, you know, they're in East Down School and they're our neighbors. And so, you know, you, you, you know what you know about them. Um, but we're just looking to move forward, and we're not really worried about anything behind us. Uh, you know, we talk a lot of times about nothing behind us matters. We're moving forward, and and so that's 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 our approach. What is uh, challenge number one? What what do you want to get this up and running right away at Woodland? Well, I, you know, my opinion is you can never be strong enough. You know, so so no matter what any team is doing. You can always probably do more in the weight room, and so I think that'll be that'll be a, our starting point. Um, I think that's also the quickest way to make gains on the field is actually in the weight room. Um, you know, it's hard it's hard sometimes to, to get somebody to run faster or jump higher or throw the ball further, but but you can you can do a lot in the weight room as far as a, a young person's strength that can that can translate into success on the football field. You know, uh, you jump from one competitive conference to another, the ACAC. Uh, I've been joking that it's now uh, the Adam Central Athletic Conference, the way the <laughs> Flying Jets have owned it in the recent years. But um, it used to be very old school football in the ACAC. I mean, it was uh, run the football, pound it in between the tackles. Today's game is much more spread, much more uh, opened up. What type of style do you want to bring to Woodland football? I, th I think you've got to be able to do a little bit of everything. Um, I think there comes a time in a game where you've got to you've got to muscle up, you know, and, and and play with a couple running backs or a or a three back set. But there's also a time, you know, where you've got to you've got to spread it out a little bit, and you're going to have to throw the ball. So, you know, I don't think it's ever I don't think you ever want to handcuff yourself um, and and lock yourself into doing one thing and one thing only so we'll 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 try to be you know we'll try to be as multiple as we can now now that's not to say you know we're not going to we're not going to empty the backfield and we're not going to throw the thing 35 times a game um you know we, we still want to control the line of scrimmage and we want to stop the run 
and and you have to be able to run the football in high school to to, to win football games. But uh, we'll, we'll 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 look to do do what whatever we need to do to have success. I don't know what the rivalry is like, but did you get anybody that gave you a hard time at Leo? Oh, the Leo folks are great. <laughs> they really are. Leo is full of such wonderful people, and and they've been so good to us for twenty five years. And and that, you know, it's some teasing, some teasing from some of the coaches, <laughs> but but you know, just 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 having good times. Uh, real quick, Brock, as we talked to Brock Rohrbacher, who's going to take over the Woodland football program and uh, become the head coach, effective. Well, effective now, but we'll see him on the sideline this fall. Uh, this last year at Leo was pretty special uh, as far as the football program goes, and it's had such sustained success. What's the key at Woodland, or I mean at Leo? What has been the key to having such a successful program year in, well, year out? Is it the community? Well, the first thing, it's Jared Souter. <laughs> Jared Jared got this thing going and took it to the next level, and and he is he is such a great person. Um, you know, it's one of those things. As good a coach as he is, he's even a better person. And and he's just he's he was just wonderful to be around for 20 years. I mean, he's just doesn't get any better. And and then Coach Dorfler has come in, and and man, he's he's done a great job. You know, and he's done it a little bit different. You know, they both mm-hmm. they both had success, and and that's proof that you can have success in different ways. You know, and 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 it, you know the, the the consistency or the, the constant, I guess, has been the community. The kids, the type of kids that that we have at Leo, are, are just really good, well-rounded kids, and and you know it's worked out for the last twenty years or so. And and so I'll, I'll miss Leo. I mean, it's, Leo is full of really good people. I've had a lot of, I have a lot of really good friends. We, my wife and I, raised our boys here. So I'll, I'll miss, I'll miss everything about Leo. Well, Coach, congratulations uh, becoming the Woodland football coach, head coach, back on the sideline. Uh, it's great for our high school football in this area to have quality coaches that teach our young men, and we can't wait to see what happens out at Woodland starting this fall. Well, we're looking forward to getting started, and, and, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Yep, that is Brock Rohrbacher. He is the new head coach of the Woodland Warriors, and things will get started this fall. I haven't even looked at their schedule to see if their schedule's posted yet. A lot of times it's still too early to actually get the schedule. I should have asked him, is there any time <laughs> in the near future we might see that Woodland-Leo rivalry renewed? Oh, Probably got to get the program up a little bit because I don't know if it's a game that Leo wants with only two non-conference games. Not sure that Woodland is ready right out of the gate, but eh, maybe down the road. That could be one of the goals is to get this to be competitive and to get uh, a Leo-Woodland rivalry back on the schedule. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, we're going to come back. Plenty of things to talk about. Uh, and a uh, little bit of a tough night last night at the Coliseum. That's one way to put it. Uh, we'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. This is Lara Overton from the Indianapolis Colts. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 Defend and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to The Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump along with Adam Lundy. Just saw a post the other day on Facebook talking about the Hawk 1380. I don't know if you saw that because it's like, I don't know, some kind of history of Fort Wayne type of Oh, yeah, uh, I've group. seen that page for okay. sure. Okay, and somebody posted a coffee cup from 1380 The Hawk, the Hawk. which uh, 
which ironically enough, that's where I started my radio career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On 1380 AM, which actually was the station that is now our station, 1380 The Fan. Um, and so it uh, owned by Federated Media. I started back in the 80s. And so I was kind of referencing that it brings me back to my... See, back in the 80s, yeah. a couple of things about radio in the 80s that this is before your time, Adam. Just a bit. Number one, uh, there were no computers, so nothing was automated. You couldn't uh, just play music and not have a person sitting there. You actually had to play every single song. Now, we didn't have records, although they did in the 70s. <laughs> we had cartridges we had to play that had all the songs, but we had to manually put them in, hit the start button, play them. We had to mix everything together. It was much more challenging back then, um, but but I got uh, the overnight job was my first job in radio. Yeah, I was Doing the uh, midnight to six a.m. guy, and ooh. then and then moved to night seven to midnight. But I joked on uh, Facebook. I said, "Yeah, it takes me back to my Brett Rogan days <laughs> when you were a country guy." When I was the country guy's Brett Rogan. I actually we spoke like. We didn't use the you southern accent or anything. Did. No, no, that was not part of country music <laughs> back then. But that eventually, that station eventually became our sister station down the hall, K105, when they jumped from AM to FM. Little history lesson on the radio. Uh, 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line. So last night, oh, that's about the way I felt. Here we go. Last night, tough night at the Coliseum. Mastodons taking on their in-state rivals, IUPUI. Jaguars coming in, having a little bit of a tough season. Uh, they uh, had just one Horizon League victory. And the Dons came out of the gate, and man, they were on fire. Raced out to an 11-2 lead, and it might have been too easy. Because the Mastodons seemed to go into cruise control and all of a sudden, back came IUPUI. And the Dons didn't defend well enough. They uh, turned the ball over a little bit. Next thing you know, IUPUI got the lead. And, you know, the worst thing that can happen is when you, you let a team that is desperate to try to get any kind of win and you give them confidence that this might be their night. And once they got that confidence, they held on. And every time the Dons made a run, got it close, got it to within a couple of points, IUPUI would hit a couple back-to-back -back baskets. It'd be back to a six- to eight-point lead. Dons would then make a push, and they'd be coming, and they'd be right there, a point or two down. And then something would happen. A call wouldn't go the Dons' way, or a ball gets kicked around, tipped around, and ends up in the hands of a Jaguar under the basket for a layup. And they'd get a break and they'd end up pulling out, uh, pulling out a six to eight point lead again. And so it was a very difficult, frustrating night last night. Uh, I, I, uh, I still believe a hundred percent in this team because I know what kind of quality players they are. I know what kind of talent they have. I know what type of passion they have. Last night just was not the night where we saw that passion, that emotion, that drive, especially on the defensive end. And that's been where the Dons have struggled over the last few games. And so it was a tough one. IUPUI ended up holding on and beating the Dons 85-78. And the real key to the game is IUPUI seemed to be able to find lanes to penetrate to the basket time and time again. And if 
If the Dons then would bring help defense, they would dump it off, and we saw about three or four slam dunks out of the drive and dish. So it just one of those nights where there was a big hump and the Dons couldn't get over it. No, and you talked about them easily scoring at the basket and driving to the basket. They made three three-pointers last night and scored 85 points. Yeah, well, look at the points in the paint. Exactly. That's where they lived. They were able to get into the paint. The one thing that this team did so well through those first 15 games when they were 13-2 and two was they took away penetration. They walled up. They didn't give you the penetration. And if you tried to dribble uh, and penetrate, they would get hands on balls. And that just isn't happening enough right now. Instead, what's happening is they're opening up lanes by rotating their hips a little bit, and it's creating opportunities for guys to get to the basket. And it's it's happened over the last few games. And last night, unfortunately, against a team that that's how they score is they attack on the dribble, and they were able to use that dribble to get penetration to the basket, and they got enough buckets in the paint that even when the Dons hit a couple of three-pointers, you made an eight-point game, two points, and then... Uh, IUPUI found a way to get a couple of quick scores and be back up six. And the Dons just could not. You know, I always say you got to hit that money ball. That during the course of a game, especially a game that stays under 10 points and it's kind of swinging back and forth, back and forth, that there's always a money ball where a guy gets set up for either a three-pointer or some kind of a big shot, whether it's going to the free-throw line. You've got the money ball in your hand, that one shot that's going to change the momentum or swing the game completely on your side. And unfortunately for the Dons, the money ball didn't drop last night. They'd get to within a couple of points. They'd miss a shot, could have tied it. And then IUPUI goes on a quick 4 nothing run and uh, has a six-point lead again. And it's very difficult because you're using tons of energy to try to get to that spot. And you keep using it over and over again. Uh, and so it was a very tough loss. Very tough. And honestly, there's no excuse for it. No. And I know, I know my place. And I know that, uh, when I get frustrated as a fan and I get very disappointed over a loss, sometimes take these things too emotionally. I know that my spot is to just sit back out of the, out of the public space and, not respond to people on social media, not get carried away in the conversation, not air any uh, issues that that I'm ticked off about. And so I actually shut it down last night. Right. I didn't go I didn't go the X route. I didn't have anything to say. It's like a loss is a loss. You're greatly disappointed. Uh, the guys didn't play well enough. They'll tell you they didn't play well enough because playing well enough would have produced a win. And uh, but here's the bright side. And there's always something that you got to look at and you got to say, you know what, there's got to be a tomorrow and there's still got to be something you're playing for. This isn't like Indiana trying to get an at large seat at the uh, NCAA tournament. This is about playing a tournament in March where one team from the Horizon League is going to get the golden ticket. And it's going to be that way, whether the Dons are the fourth place team, fifth place team, eighth place team, second place team or first place team. It, it doesn't matter. No. If they, you get a seat at the table, you got a chance. And they have to be ready to play better than they're playing now. All they've got to do is say, hey, you know what? Every season has waves where you play really great basketball, and then maybe you go into a funk. This funk has only been a one-week funk. Honestly, 
They didn't play bad basketball against Wright State. Wright State shot 60-some percent against them. Now, they could have done some things better as far as their rotations defensively, but but the bottom line is they could have won that game scoring 98 points. Absolutely. And, and so that was a 50-50 game. Youngstown State, they were down 27. They fought all the way back to get within three. They had their chances at Youngstown State. But the tough thing is back-to-back losses against a couple of teams that you think on paper they should beat. But there's plenty of time to make those up because there's plenty of head-to-head games still against the teams that are in front of you. You look at Oakland. They're all alone in first place right now in the Horizon League. And they've only lost two times. And who are the two teams, that, or who's one of the two yeah. teams that beat them? <laughs> Purdue-Fort Wayne. At Oakland. Yep. By 21 points. So clearly it's a team that can get it turned around rather quickly, and they have that pressure on them. They have to get it turned around by Saturday because they go to Cleveland State, where the Vikings are 9-0 and on their home floor on Saturday. Never easy against Cleveland State. No, and, uh, you know, that's a team, you know, you talk about teams that are difficult matchups for the Dons. That's going to be one of the great challenges, the physical matchup, because Cleveland State, they're two-man, 6-7. <laughs> Don's two man is six feet tall. Uh, the three man is six seven. Don's three man is six two. Their four man six eight. Don's four man is six four. And so every one of the positions on the floor is going to be an advantage height wise to Cleveland State. What the Don's then have to do is they're going to have to be able to force. That in those into turnovers, they're going to have to, you know, use their quickness, use their uh, their ability to use quick hands and try when these big guys go to bounce it, they got to somehow get a hand on it. So it'll be uh, an interesting matchup come Saturday, two o'clock Cleveland in the snow. Did you see the weather forecast for Cleveland? Uh, not for Cleveland, but, uh, we, we actually, you know, we talked about it a little bit. They're getting some of that lake effect snow. You uh, said, yeah, you know, Cleveland with the wind direction this week versus mm-hmm. last week, Cleveland could be the Buffalo of what we saw last weekend Uh-oh. because the, the, the winds <laughs> are going to come out of the North yeah. across Lake Erie, right into old Cleveland, Ohio. And how will the Dons be preparing for a uh, outdoor weather experience? <laughs> how, will they, how will they be preparing for a snowstorm in Cleveland? <laughs> But you do understand basketball is played indoors. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I'll oh, just oh, uh, yeah. see myself out. Yeah, but that that walk to the bus, what's it going to be like? <laughs> we used to experience that when we went to North Dakota. Oh, man. Where the wind chills were like 40 to 50 below and the real the actual temperature was like 20-some below. Whew. Oh, man. I'm so glad to be out of the Summit League. <laughs> Sorry, Summit League. but Yeah, because back in the Summit League days, we'd have been worried about the weather and the impacts it might have on travel and mm-hmm. connections through Chicago or whatever. You know, now, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about whether or not we'll get out of Fort Wayne on time and whether or not we'll land in Chicago and be able to catch our connection or we'll sit in O'Hare for six or eight hours, <laughs> which is what it used to be. Now we just know we get on a bus and let's get as far as we can. And if the weather holds off and we can get all the way to Cleveland, great. But, uh, yeah, so so a tough one last night, but uh, just a couple of numbers for the Dons. Defensively, this is where they've got to focus on improvement. I think they will because they were a really good defensive team. And if, for some reason, what happened with 2024? Did 2024 steal 2023's defense? Because in 2023, the Dons were allowing 65.7 points per game. 2024, they've allowed 93.8 points per game. What a difference. 
Um, now, they've played a couple of really good offenses, but that's still a pretty substantial number. Yeah. But the Dons are still scoring points. That's the thing is they're scoring consistently. They're just allowing quite a few more points. Um, they've had two eight-point losses, a six-point loss, and an overtime loss. Mm. So, you know, it's it's not like they had, you know, that massive blowout or some kind of an embarrassing loss. It's... Uh, you know, they, they were in the games, and offensively, so far this year, in 2024, they're averaging 87.5 points per game. They're giving up 93.8. That's a problem, but that's something that's correctable because this team has shown it can play solid defense. Um, here's, here's a side stat that I think I threw out last week. The Dons are averaging over 50 points per game in just the second half of Horizon League contests. Yeah, they've had some monster second had another, halves. Had another 48 yesterday. Against and, IUPUI. And unfortunately, it and, just didn't lead to another win. Or, yeah, had yeah. over 50 against uh, Youngstown State. Had uh, over 50 against Robert Morris after halftime. Had over 50 against Wright State. All three of those games, they lost. So as long as they don't dig themselves a hole, as long as they just focus on some of the basic principles of the defensive end, they'll be fine. I think so, too. We've seen it. They've competed against and beaten the top of the current Horizon League by about 20. So. It's not It's not effort. It's It's just some basic principles. They have to improve. Uh, they'll get there. And hopefully that get there, that getting there starts on Saturday at Cleveland State. All right, so coming up on the show, we've got to talk about the Hoosiers and the Boilermakers and what's up next for both of them after the emotional head-to-head -head meeting earlier this week well neither one is uh is going to have an easy game i don't think i mean hoosiers obviously in madison at cole center that's not going to be easy boilermakers go on the road against a team that they trounce pretty easy at home but ken palm and and uh, Vegas, I mean, everybody expects this is going to be a much closer game this time around. Might be dealing with some shenanigans from your favorite college coach, Fran McCaffrey. Oh, gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need to talk about Fran. <laughs> Franny. Oh, Franny. Oh, boy. Uh, but we'll talk about the matchups, things to watch for Indiana and Purdue. We also have Kevin Bowen, who's going to join us in our number two. And Eric Dututkevich. And we'll get his thoughts on Brock Rohrbacher coming back to coach, taking over the Woodland Warriors. But we'll also talk high school basketball as uh, we're right down to the end of the season for girls basketball. So we'll talk to Duke coming up around 540 this afternoon. It's a packed show on a Thursday with the Sports Rush on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.